we interrupt this program to bring you Courage the Cowardly Dog Show, starring Courage the Cowardly Dog! You're listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children and still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize, well, that's pretty that's dark. Pretty dark. It's no good. The dialogue is terrible. The direction is strange. And there's no nudity. So there's nothing. And I'm like, get, give me at least something. <laughs> there's no redeeming qualities. No boobies. Nothing. <laughs> you got to give me something to keep coming back. <laughs> Clearly, y'all, we have our summer activities <laughs> cut out for us. You know what I'm doing. You're watching slashers and... Looking for, <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know what else that people could do with their next few weeks if they're so inclined? What's that? They could enter our giveaway on Instagram. Wow. Just setting them up, knocking them down. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Listener, if you're listening prior to July 21st, 2023, we have a giveaway that's currently active on our Instagram page. So you can go there and see all the details in a post that we made. Um, a very stylized photo shoot. Christian and I had a lot of fun uh, making it feel like a summer camp. You know how we do. Uh, stuff that we've covered over the past few years, items from those things, as well as a bunch of um, 90s adjacent, we'll say, candy. So yeah, buddy. if that is something that you're interested in, make sure that you get over to our Instagram before that July 21st date, because we're announcing a winner on July 22nd. It's a good word. Also, speaking of Instagram, Christian and I did something that has been terrifying to us in the past, and we joined you all on Instagram Live yeah, recently we did. for the first time ever. That was fun. I thought it was really fun. I was shocked. We didn't really think we'd be able to do a very good job, but then you guys made us feel so well. Yeah, guys, we, if you didn't know, have severe social anxiety. So that's something that's always plagued us. Like, I don't know if we'll be able to do that. And we did. And it was really fun. Like yeah. the people that joined, you guys had really fun questions and and you care about the stuff that we care about. And we just appreciate you and love you. It was a good time. We'll do it again. But yeah, next time we'll, we'll try to like make it more official and announce it and everything. It kind of, kind of uh, came from Christian and I hanging out and saying, hey, should we just hit this button and, and do this thing? Oh, you want to see what this button does? <laughs> oh, shit. And it it oh. turned out well for once in our lives. So. Live on the internet. <laughs> uh, speaking of being official in all kinds of other stuff, you're listening to That's Pretty Dark. Ah, yes. My name's Christian. My name's Kaylin. And we're going to keep the summer fun going. Yeah, honestly, this is a really fun summertime episode. It just feels that way. It may just be because we're trying to immerse ourselves in that yeah. vibe. Is it because of the like woodland cryptid creatures and the hot, yes. the word hot being in the other episode title? That is what it's about. Mm -hmm. That is how Nailed I feel. It. I've been a hothead. I've been a real hothead recently. Just recently? <laughs> oh, no. No, kidding. Joking. Shots um, fired. <laughs> so today, if you hadn't picked up on it yet, we will be jumping into the lore, pop culture, and inspiration around episode three, uh, season one, episode three of Courage the Cowardly Dog. Well, daggum. Courage meets Bigfoot slash hothead. Mm -hmm. So as usual, the air dates, they were all over the place. 
But the fandom wiki says that a sneak peek of this episode, I don't know what that means exactly, aired on August 21st, my birthday, in 1999. And the episode premiered later on November 26th. And the November date is the only one I could find for Hothead. So I'm thinking maybe Bigfoot premiered as a sneak peek or whatever, and then they put them together Mm -hmm. and it aired on the 26th of November. That's cool. I wonder why that one. I don't know. I mean, probably because Bigfoot is such a recognizable figure in legend, lore, and myth. So Kind of a ubiquitous type thing. We'll talk all about that very soon. I'm excited to get into it. (laughs) So yeah, like I said, first up is Courage Meets Bigfoot. It was written by Irvin S. Bauer, who wrote several of the previous episodes that we've talked about. And I'm going to hit you with a fandom wiki summary this time just to change it up for a change of pace. Right. Courage discovers a hungry Bigfoot scavenging his house. Fear returns to friendship, and Courage must protect his Sasquatch buddy from Eustace and his angry mob. Dude, that mob, though. Right? We'll we'll talk yeah. all about it. It's more than I thought it would be in terms of, like, intensity. Mob. More like blob. <laughs> <laughs> blob. That's a better more word like for it. More like amorphous yes. blob. Which is how we should really think of mobs, it turns out, mm-hmm. in uh, in our culture. But... We'll get there soon. The animation was telling. So the episode begins with a familiar scene for most of us. The bags are enjoying an evening of television in their living room. It's honestly one of the more comforting, normal moments for this show so far, and in general for me as a person. Ever since I was little, I've always thought there was something really nice about passing the houses in my neighborhood or around town and seeing that cozy flicker in every other window Just of a television. going up to their windows and peeking through the curtains and, and the blinds. Through, trying and to see what see. they're watching. And <laughs> if you no. drive through uh, the neighborhood near me, you know the one on the hill. Mm-hmm. Their windows are just open. open. They love weird. to show off all the insides because they're all rich. Sure. I don't have that kind of money. I don't have open window kind of money. No, yeah, I do like the glow. I just, I like it. But isn't it a horror movie? There are like screams on the, the TV. There are screams, but they are still seemingly enjoying it, so. It's, I'm not saying it isn't cozy. That's what I'm doing every night this exactly. summer, it doesn't mean much. It doesn't mean that it's not cozy. Horror movies and blueberry pie? Sign me up. Sure. <laughs> Hell yeah. Of course. Invite us over, Marilyn Eustace. We would love to be there. That sounds like a great time. Inevitably, though, Courage notices some spooky sounds and a threatening shadow while he's enjoying a slice of said blueberry pie Mm. and a big old glass of milk. (laughs) The milk carton is bigger than Courage himself. Just need an excuse to drink the milk. I was almost kind of surprised that they didn't put just like a missing, like even if it was just like lorem ipsum gibberish on the side of the milk carton. I'm surprised they didn't have like missing or something. How dark would that be? (laughs) I mean, hey, I've seen darker things on the show. I mean, it'd be great. I would have not hated to see that. I mean, I hate to see it, but like I kind of you hate to see that. it, but it's part of the it's part of the culture at the time. So these sounds prompt some famous courage charades. At first, he looks like a dinosaur, like a T Rex, but then you realize oh, yes. he's Godzilla destroying mm-hmm. everything in his path. He's chomping. And he's chomping. with so much sweet sincerity, it hurts. Muriel asks, "What is it, courage? Help! Help! Help!" And follows him to the door to find their trash bins in disarray. Oh, it's just the raccoons. They must be hungry. It's just the raccoons. There are reasons that it's just some hungry raccoons, as all of our parents have when things would go bump in the night. That was no raccoon. And of course, this show is directly responsible for me and probably a lot of other millennials being quite skeptical of our parents' or caregivers' rationalizations. I've seen the raccoons in my neighborhood, though. They are little tyrants. Oh, They're fair. cute as hell. They come scurrying out of the sewers. Mm. 
and they go all the way up to, well, my neighbors, when they used to put food out for the neighborhood cats, yeah, they'd go it's get a bad it. move. Don't do yeah, that, people. I know. The I raccoons, know. though, would go up and they would sneak and they carry it back to the sewers. I've seen- The little bandits. I've seen a whole family just- be bopping along the streets of my neighborhood they're like cute. a whole family and they're adorable don't hurt them don't hurt them but also i don't want to come into contact with them because you know the rabies they won't such. do anything no 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 they won't <laughs> do anything to you so muriel retreats to the kitchen where she pulls a pie out of the oven and she says it's dessert for tomorrow mm. i guess they're having pie two nights in a row i'm sure christian Why won't not? complain <laughs> again sign me up muriel sets it on the open windowsill to cool and this is where <laughs> Encourages you. This is our lovely dessert for tomorrow. I, I hope we make it to tomorrow. tomorrow. Or whatever. Totally me. Yeah. I was like, that's I hope Kaylin. we make it to tomorrow. Like, you would have yep. some sweet gesture. It'd be like, it's fine, Kaylin. Yep. We'll figure it out tomorrow. And you would go, yep. if we make it to tomorrow. I, I mean, sure would. if we're still here. If we're still here, that would be. And me. I'd be like, Kaylin, chill. If we're not here, <laughs> then like. We have bigger problems than a pie. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, me, though. You're right. Once Muriel and Eustace have retreated to bed, Courage spots the creature outside their window and runs downstairs with his binoculars intact to investigate. There he hears some rather intense growling and sees the pie shifting in the windowsill. Raccoon or not, you're not getting this pie! And I guess it's like a pretty short monster because he can't be seen from the first floor window when he's tugging on the pie. Yeah. He's reaching up for it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Because otherwise he just would have, you just would have grabbed the pie. Like You would think so, right? I think he was just trying to play. For a friend, we might find. For a friend. But they play tug of war with the pie and the ethereal spooky sound effects and growling stop abruptly when it flies back in Courage's face. <laughs> And Muriel enters. I suppose she heard all that racket. Sure. And is so kind and understanding when she discovers courage covered in pie. <laughs> it's all right, courage. I'll make another pie in the morning. <laughs> Next time, use a plate. She doesn't. She's not even bothered. She's like, okay, courage just ate our whole pie. No big deal. Courage like me, is understandably shaken up at this point. There was something on the other end of that pie, or my name's Aloysius. Aloysius. And it's not. Same. I mean, we're going to be able to clock every single... I knew that it was a running joke, but there's been at least one of those in, I think, every episode so far. So far, yes. And I would probably... I would guess that probably the first season has one. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I haven't seen the whole first season yet, but... Right. But what is Aloysius? It's a name. It's just a name? I think it's just a random name. Do you think that's where they got Hallowishes <laughs> no. from for Disney? <laughs> I don't. The Halloween show? I don't think that. But Aloishes and Hallowishes? What does the name Aloishes mean? Fa it, the name means, it's a Germanic word meaning famous warrior. Well. Just so you know. The more you know. Apparently. I'm glad we could all learn something today on That's Pretty Dark. Hey, we're just getting started. <laughs> we are just getting started. Tell me about it. Back to the pie on the windowsill. Maybe it's just me being from Mosquito and Bug Central in the southern United States mm -hmm. um, and being lucky enough to have central air conditioning for most of my life. Putting anything on the windowsill to cool has only been something I've seen in movies and old cartoons, despite watching my mama cook for much of my young life and childhood. Hey, were there like fewer bugs I, back I in the day? I assume there had to have been, right? I don't understand. I don't get it. And stranger still for Muriel to do so at nighttime. Yeah. Don't you want your windows closed when you go to bed? Not when you live in the middle of nowhere. I guess not. Out in the country. But like, yeah, leaving your window open without a screen, first without of all. Without a screen. That's the thing. 
I recognize that this trope is a holdover from like the pre-air conditioner days when the air in the house was hot and still and didn't move. So you needed it to be on the windowsill where there was like a breeze or something, if there was a breeze. Yeah. But what did people do about the bugs? I have never, in all my movie watching and cartoon watching years, I've never seen a pie sat down on a screened in windowsill. Mm-mm. <laughs> Not any. I, I don't know. It's always just there to be taken by whatever main characters of the show or- uh, like a bear. You're nailing it. Or other animals. You're nailing it. The trope of the pie in the window is the, that the aroma wafts out into nature yep. and attracts whatever creature is in mm-hmm. nature, which is exactly what happens in this episode. It lifts you up off the ground. Often, yes. And then you float like you have fairy wings. Yes. You follow your nose. The scent Woo-hoo. to the pie. That is what we have yep. seen over and over and over again in cartoons throughout the 20th century. I've smelled some good smells, but it never lifted me off the ground. Me neither. <laughs> but speaking of pies on windowsills and especially the snatching of them, I found a New York Times article from 2002 titled, Take These Pies, Please, Inviting Thieves to a Window Where Art Imitates Lore. Oh. And I'd like to read you a few excerpts from said article. I'm titillated. I'm honestly- Are you ready for this? This is that hard hitting- I use that word facetiously, but I'm pretty excited about this. I have always wanted to know where this came from. I kind of have too. And I don't know that I'm going to tell you where it came from. It came from old Americana. I would even think like old European. And and beyond, I'm sure. Just that old timey Hmm. homemaker sort of idea. There's got to be a fairy tale or something. But, you know, Americana is the apple pie, right? Like that's something that's very- Supposedly, not to my personal experience, but to experiences in in Middle America, probably Mm -hmm. um, central to your culture, especially in previous decades. So in this article, journalist Andy Newman, not to be confused with Randy Newman, (laughs) (laughs) discusses a performance art piece called Pies for a Passerby, conducted by artist and baker Anissa Mack. Nice. So basically in 2002, late spring, early summer of 2002, Anissa Mack set up a tableau of a one-room children's playhouse near the Brooklyn Public Library, where she would bake pies every day and leave them on her windowsill to cool, Hmm. expecting or maybe even hoping for someone to take them. All right. As the article says, the idea is to see what happens when a classic image of small-town America, the swiping of a fresh pie off of a windowsill, depicted everywhere from the little rascals to Oh Brother Where Art Thou Hmm. to the Simpsons, (laughs) <laughs> and even then we could have included Courage the Cowardly Dog, Yeah, comes to life and touches down in the big city. So this was essentially, like I said, a performance art piece, but reactions to the performance were varied. Given the something-for-nothing nature of the project, some New Yorkers smelled not a pie, but a rat. Mm. Why would you want to steal pie off of a windowsill? Asked a 17-year-old student at the Science Skills Center High School after Miss Mack explained the performance piece to her. Mm-hmm. She said there might be something wrong with it. And there's that skepticism that we all have. Oh, no, I wouldn't take a pie. That didn't exist. I mean, I would take a pie. If, I mean, okay, I wouldn't steal someone's pie. <laughs> Let's just put it out there. <laughs> Are we going to clarify? If I was going to, if it was just like on the windowsill of like a house in like the woods, like the forest or something, if it was like a sweet old lady baking some pies, 
Yeah, I'd probably get it. That is exactly what Anissa Mack was recreating. You could see through the window. But on a windowsill, though, like in the city? It is. No, no. I'm not taking that pie. So it's it's exactly that. It's confusing, right? You And you see her there. You can see through the gingham curtains. The article describes it beautifully. Mm-hmm. Into the little cottage that she's built next to the Brooklyn Public Library where she's baking her pies, rolling pins, and all of the imagery that's supposed to evoke that I wouldn't do nostalgic it. feeling. But you wouldn't take it. No. If it was in the middle of Brooklyn. No. And on second thought, I probably wouldn't in, in the middle of like the woods either. Because that sounds like the beginning of a fairy tale or a horror film or both. Where something goes horribly wrong. I'm not but looking see, to to have a curse on me from whatever witch lives there. We hear it that's pretty dark are looking at things with that healthy skepticism that we developed as millennials. Yeah. And it may not have been the case for everybody, you know, existing prior to us. So in the continuation of this experiment, a few minutes after this high school student came by, a woman grabbed the pie after reading about the project on a sign next to the cottage and offered it to two little girls sitting on the library steps. They shrank from her as if she were handing out worms. Yeah, that's, that's creepy. Other people seemed unable to grasp the concept of a gift bestowed randomly. Mm-mm. It's just not in that culture, right? Mm-mm. No sooner had Miss Mac closed up shop Friday after a five-pie day than a woman appeared at the window and demanded to know what time she had to show up the next morning to get a pie. <laughs> Miss Mac said, I can't guarantee that you'll get a pie. And the woman answered, why not if I'm first in line? Yeah. That that's the mentality that came to life in New York City. It's like when Monica makes the candy and for it's her exactly apartment like and everybody yes. shows up wanting more candy, yep. demanding it from her. Demanding more candy. That's so funny. But this being a real life thing, that's pretty interesting. It is. Just in the way that it developed. I'm sure a lot of that hesitation comes from the stranger danger mm-hmm. that was just like shoved down our throats forever. Absolutely. It as does, well yeah. as all the candy scares. Right. The candy tampering. Uh, right. The myths candy and tampering things. that we talked about in our Halloween series for sure i think that yes the culture was a lot more fearful around free food from a stranger than it may have now it's almost like and now it's unheard of like doing that now i don't know that she would even have people taking pies right or Mm -mm. you know i I don't know you'd have to have some very official looking like it would have to yeah it would have to look (laughs) official it would have to have credentials and yes that's something that has evolved with time and the world that we live in and the few people as we know from our halloween series the very few people that take advantage of an opportunity like that for a very, very like malicious and evil reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anissa Mack said, people really feel entitled. And that's sort of an interesting American thing too. She said on Saturday, the script played out as originally conceived. She said an adult man raced across the plaza, stole the pie right in front of a bunch of little kids who were waiting and ran (laughs) off. (laughs) She said that it was pretty satisfying to get it exactly the way that she wanted it. (laughs) (laughs) He's taller than all of them. He just reaches over and takes it. And it happened (laughs) in real life. That like cartoon (laughs) style idea. It Um. it did happen. But, you know, times have now changed (laughs) since then. 21 years since the piece. God. And honestly, today you could probably get the pie to cook on the concrete because we've just exceeded our highest temperature record for several days in a row. Yeah. But I thought it was so funny to just, I mean, obviously with what we're doing here, I have to love it. I love that an artist went to those links to bring something so quaint into a city and see how it played out. It's cool that a performance art piece like that also doubles as a social experiment. Exactly. Like I kind it's of almost, wish- It almost is a social experiment yeah. before it's an art piece. Yeah. It, yeah. It's almost like that's secondary Man, to it. If that was just my whole job, 
dude. Like if I could just conceive of stuff like that and have, have experiments like that done, mm. that is, it's so interesting to me. Human nature is so interesting to me because as much as it isn't like a quantitative thing mm -hmm. that you can measure, it also is, you know? Man, we could do that here. We could think of some crazy stuff <laughs> being in the South. My God. But like, think about it. It would be performance piece, a social experiment, and a publicity stunt for yeah, our podcast. It would be for our, <laughs> we could do all of the above at the same the time. The trifecta. We know all about the the idea of one of those social experiment publicity stunts. We talked about the clowns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. In uh, our Zebo episode, we talked about mm. the, the clowns in the park. That's right. We did. It does happen for sure. But I don't know. I just thought that was a fun little aside. And No, it's that's super interesting. The yeah. first time we've seen a pie on a window yet so far. And that's pretty dark. It is one of those classic tropes that we love to learn about. Mm -hmm. Now that we've seen it once, we're going to start seeing it all. Oh, we're going to see it over and over. So after this, I assume Courage cleans himself up. He eats some more pie. <laughs> and the next day, we find Eustace watching the Nowhere News, where the newsman is breaking a big story. This is special Nowhere News. There's a Bigfoot in these here parts. Ooh. He's been terrorizing Nowhere. Now we know the cause of all them disasters. We found proof positive Bigfoot is here. <laughs> disasters. Disasters. My word processor really hated the way that I phrased that quote. <laughs> it's so angry. Oh, There's so, so many funny. red lines and blue lines. These here parts. Disasters depicted on screen on the Nowhere News include the Sphinx losing its nose. Mm -hmm. uh, what I can only assume is the Titanic sinking in a very poorly photoshopped image and the Colosseum collapse. These aren't local atrocities. These are like worldwide. Worldwide. Atrocities. Exactly. <laughs> These disasters. Disasters. Apparently, they found, quoting, proof positive of Bigfoot's presence in nowhere, a big footprint. Yeah. The newsman goes on to explain that the Nowhere Museum is offering a reward of a whopping $25. 25 And And a lifetime museum <laughs> membership for the person who brings Bigfoot to light or reports any strange goings on. So funny. Eustace who is always money hungry and apparently also a museum buff. Didn't know that about him. He just likes to win. Gets real jazzed and declares, That's for me. That's for me. I like that. Such a weird like phrasing. Phrase. It is. That's for it's me. It's weird, right? That's, that's for, for me. me. Instead of like, that's mine or like, I'm going to get that. He says, that's it for me. It must have come I've seen that in something from else too. something else. Well, I've seen that in something else, but I can't put my finger on it. I thought about it for days. It's also like heavy entitlement. Like his narcissism shows, like yeah. it's not for anybody else. It's for me. That belongs to me. That's for me. They've done this for me. 100%. Speaking of entitlement, yeah. It's like the dad from A Christmas Story. Yeah. He's won a major award. Right. Damn, hell, You said you won that? <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Exactly. So I love that movie. I can almost quote the whole movie. I'd love to just sit here and have you do it, but I think people would be confused. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to. So... Muriel wants to know the cause for all the excitement, and when Eustace explains to her what's going on, she asks, What's wrong with your foot? <laughs> yes. It's got the energy of trying to explain a TV show to your mom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? She's so oblivious. Or your grandma. She's so oblivious. Just so blissfully unaware. Sweet baby Muriel. Sweet Muriel. Courage then puts two and two together, realizing this could be the monster who paid them a visit last night, and confirms his suspicions, finding a footprint in their yard. He then imagines a literal big foot 
not a Bigfoot monster, but a Bigfoot. Which is odd foreshadowing it is, for later actually. in the season with the other True. Bigfoot that we're going to meet. Not only is the foot that he imagines much bigger than the footprint that's in front of him, because of course yes. courage is catastrophizing, the foot is also punting Muriel through the old uprights on a football field. <laughs> and also the visual between of, of Muriel between the monster's toes is pretty off-putting. It's gross, and I yeah. knew a lot of people when I was a kid that were really grossed out by feet. So I feel like, as usual, they're taking every opportunity to pepper in the fear or disgust, even, just wherever they yeah, get it. Yeah, I guess so. Of course, we can't have a Bigfoot episode without doing just a little bit of background on the myth or creature itself. Hell yeah. And in all my years of random documentary perusing and podcast listening, I feel like, even though I may have heard it, I wasn't all that familiar with the origins of this bit of lore. Yeah. But now we can all be familiar together, listener. And if you already are, let's just get back to basics. I know a guy who lives in Louisiana who is obsessed with Sasquatch. Oh, nice. <laughs> like to the point where like we referred to Sasquatch as Squatch. Man, we should have consulted him for this episode. And it was like, <laughs> like half serious, half joking. But when I went to his wedding where I signed my name, I signed Squatch into his wedding. So I thought nice. he, Well, now he knows if he listens to the show. <laughs> he, do, he doesn't. He knows it was you. He's going to be all disappointed. He doesn't. <laughs> Wikipedia says, Bigfoot, also commonly referred to as Sasquatch, is a large and hairy human-like mythical creature, which we know. Hey, we don't know he's mythical. Well, fair. She, they. They, we don't know if they're mythical. We don't know they're mythical. Uh, they are purported to inhabit forests in North America, particularly in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, common descriptions of Bigfoot or Sasquatch include broad shoulders, no visible neck, and long arms, which many skeptics attribute to misidentification of a bear standing upright. Which, uh, I mean, how long are a bear's arms, actually? I mean... I don't feel like they'd be that long, but anyway. But if you're already looking at a bear in whatever frame of mind, and your mind says, hey, that's a Sasquatch, yeah. you're already seeing things that aren't there. That's fair. So that's you're probably... Point. Your memory or whatever is probably just exaggerating everything. Well, we're, yeah. Who are we to say? I'm just, <laughs> really? I don't know. I, I don't know either. I'm speculating. Some alleged nighttime sightings have stated that the creature's eyes glowed in a yellow or red. However, eye shine isn't present in humans or any other known great apes. Hmm. And so proposed explanations for observable eye shine off of the ground in the forest include owls, raccoons, uh -huh. like Nero said, or opossums perched in the foliage. Or any kind of cat. Or cats. Cats have the eye reflection Big cats, too. cats, bobcats. Yeah, yeah mountain lions. Oh, yeah. Mm. Many of the indigenous cultures across the North American continent include tales of mysterious hair-covered creatures living in forests. And according to anthropologist David Daiglig, Dangling. That's not a real name. It's D-A-E-G-L-I-N-G. Daigling. Daigling. That's one. Daigling. <laughs> Mother person these legends these legends existed long before contemporary reports of the creature described as bigfoot according to mr mr daiglink <laughs> these stories differed in their details regionally which is really interesting to me because i don't know maybe that's maybe that relates to the different fauna sure that inhabit different regions i don't know or like what they can describe like their mythical beliefs like their folklores and such maybe just yeah. How things evolved over time. It also differs between families in the same communities. Oh, wow. While we don't have a date for the origin of the idea, in 1958, Jerry Crew, bulldozer operator for a logging company in Humboldt County, California, discovered a set of large 16-inch human-like footprints sunk deep within the mud in the Six Rivers National Forest. Upon informing his coworkers, 
Many claim to have seen similar tracks on previous job sites, as well as telling of odd incidents, such as an oil drum weighing 450 pounds having been moved without explanation. Hmm. So not only is there a Sasquatch, but he's assisting the <laughs> loggers out in the woods. He's just looking for work. Right. Just looking for a job. That's all. Just an in honest this economy, work, day's work, you know? In, in this, this economy, economy, Bigfoot just needed a job. He got the job. He just needed the paycheck. They, well, he needs to come forward so he can claim it. They won't experiment on him or do anything horrible. They promise. No, no. He won't die in the process. <laughs> so the logging company men soon began utilizing the term Bigfoot to describe the apparent culprit. Bigfoot. Uh, crew initially believed someone was playing a prank on them. And mm. after observing more of these massive footprints, he contacted reporter Andrew Ginzoli of the Humboldt Times newspaper. Ginzoli interviewed lumber workers and wrote articles about the mysterious footprints, including the name Bigfoot in relation to the tracks and the local tales of a large, hairy, wild man. Wow. A plaster cast was made of the footprints and crew appeared holding one of the casts on the front page of the newspaper on October 6th, 1958. And the story spread rapidly as Ginzoli began to receive correspondence from major media outlets, including the New York Times and Los Angeles Times. As a result, the term Bigfoot became widespread as a reference to an apparently large, unknown creature leaving massive footprints in Northern California. As a result, Willow Creek and Humboldt County are considered by some to be the Bigfoot capital of the world. Wow. I would bet that some of our listeners have been there, maybe even lived there. Yeah. So they probably know more than we do about this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But... The most well-known video of an alleged Bigfoot, the Patterson-Gimlin film, was recorded on October 20th of 1967 by Roger Patterson and Robert Bob Gimlin in an area called Bluff Creek in Northern California. The 59.5 second long video has become an iconic piece of Bigfoot lore and continues to be a highly scrutinized, analyzed, and debated subject. Yeah. I believe I've seen that clip yeah. mm -hmm. before. It's like the clip. Yeah. If you're into... Anything offbeat, you probably have come across that at some point in your life. And it's, I, I didn't realize it was from 1967. Which was then updated and perfected in the film Elf. Yes, exactly. He's walking through <laughs> Central, uh, Central Park. Park. <laughs> yeah. Sure is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of liked the Bigfoot element being pulled in here because this episode specifically, obviously um, the bag's house and nowhere in general has kind of that mid-century vibe. Mm -hmm. um, not the outright setting, obviously, but but the idea or the echo of a mid-century vibe. And so I think Bigfoot fits right in to that. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> no, I'm ready to get me a Bigfoot. So, because the reward is for him, apparently. That's for me. Eustace begins plotting to hunt down the cryptid and lays out his supplies, including a mousetrap, fishing pole, fly swatter, and iron torture collar. Because <laughs> those things go together. I would not have been surprised if he had assembled items to build or stage a fake Bigfoot. Actually, yeah, something. that might have been a funnier. I was like, he's about to build himself a damn <laughs> Bigfoot. <laughs> he's going to build a Bigfoot. How to build a Bigfoot. Because like, that's also part of the whole like Bigfoot um, right, history. For sure. Just the whole Bigfoot concept. People staging things, faking things. Absolutely. It's one of the more widely like staged or yeah, imitated. Really just to get funding so that they can then go prove the existence. And research. Exactly. Bigfoot. It's true. So Courage does some more charades, trying to let him know about the footprint that he found, but they're interrupted by the doorbell. We don't need any. But he's met with, honestly, what looks like a miniature version of himself, <laughs> also sounds... voiced by Lionel Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an old woman version of... And I... 
It's yeah, it's just an old little old woman version of Eustace. Basically, it's what his mom is. It's what his mom looks like in a later episode. Yes. Yeah. And I'm wondering, listener, if this is meant to subtly imply that Eustace and Bigfoot are related. <laughs> Don't know. We'll see. Don't know. <laughs> Yet to be told. Second cousins twice removed. Exactly. We'll get there later too. Hey. Please, mister, my little boy is lost. You see my little boy? Ain't seen no lost boy. He continues to scheme eager to collect that $25 prize. And the lifetime membership. Can't forget that. Muriel offers some pie to Courage, who says to camera, Who could worry on an empty stomach? And just when the viewer thinks that they can take a breather, the very next shot reveals Muriel hand-feeding the pie to what is presumably Bigfoot. Uh, voiced by John Dilworth himself, by nice. the way. Nice. To me, Bigfoot doesn't look that intimidating, even at first glance. Um, he reminded me a lot of the Looney Tunes character, Gossamer. Yeah. Like that looks like where maybe they got the inspiration for this Bigfoot. He has a, yeah, he's a similar like shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same shape, no neck. I can see it. After a momentary screaming match, during which the sounds are once again the scariest part of the villain, yeah. Muriel decides to have a leisurely cup of tea. I think I have a wee cup of tea. Because <laughs> that's what you do. Uh, Courage is then frozen and decides to hurl the nearest object at Bigfoot, which is apparently a watermelon, and this begins a classic food fight. Yeah, I want to point out he threw the watermelon, so he threw a summer pumpkin. A summer pumpkin. And there was also a jack-o'-lantern thrown. Wow. So, two worlds colliding. And an autumn Mm -hmm. pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like this show really has a knack for bringing these larger-than-life villains into the house and getting them down on Courage's domestic level. Yeah. Perhaps this is a loose metaphor for how the creators were bringing them into our childhood homes and minds. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm reaching a little bit, but I do, I like it. I can't say I don't like it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely... Uh, it's a thought that I had when I wrote I these notes and put them on paper. <laughs> Who knows if that was intended, but yeah. they definitely accomplished that, regardless. They did, yeah, they did for sure. That's what happened either way. The food fight is underscored by an operatic symphony. Good golly, Jody. <laughs> Jody and Andy really outdid themselves on the music in this episode. They really did. But that eventually gives way to laughter and haphazard fruit sculptures, which shifts into a Carmen Miranda-esque dance performance, complete (laughs) with tropical fruit ensembles, when the radio is struck and plays a tropical tune. Dude, you can can hear Jody doing that, like, vocalization. Oh, for sure, yeah. I'm not going to even attempt it, but... It's great. It's Jody's voice, most definitely. It's 100% And according to the IMDb, this track... Uh, by Jody and Andy is even titled Carmina Miranda. No, nice. which is it's great. <laughs> That's awesome. And I feel like I should probably give a little vignette to Carmen Miranda. Also, sure. I mean, who knew would, that Bigfoot and Carmen Miranda would be in the same place at the same time? But here they are. Thanks, Dilly. I feel like her fruit headdresses were ubiquitous in cartoons of the time. Oh, and yeah. If you aren't familiar, which I feel like. We are maybe the last generation to have a working, if vague, knowledge of Carmen Miranda. I feel like this goes way back, too. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing it in Looney Tunes. Am I incorrect? Most definitely. No, definitely all throughout. Um, All throughout Looney Tunes and just throughout the decades Mm -hmm. as a trope. Yeah. And I definitely don't blame all of you Gen Z cusps or Gen Zs out there who don't know who this is. But I would love to tell you. Because she deserves to be remembered, damn it. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. But it's your responsibility to look this up. That's right. (laughs) Well, you don't even have to (laughs) because we're going to tell you right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Wow. 
So Carmen Miranda was a Portuguese-born Brazilian performer who passed away in 1955 at the age of 46. Wow, so young. She rose to fame singing and performing on Brazilian radio and in Brazilian musical films. And according to Wikipedia, in 1939, a Broadway producer offered her an eight-week contract to perform in the streets of Paris after seeing her in Rio de Janeiro. Mm. The following year, she made her first Hollywood film, Down Argentine Way. And that year, she was voted the third most popular personality in the United States. Whoa. And she and her group were invited to sing and dance for President Franklin D. Roosevelt. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something. I, I, I had like four or five different things I was going to say. <laughs> And I just, I'm not gonna. In 1943, Miranda starred in Busby Berkeley's The Gang's All Here, which featured musical numbers with the fruit hats that became her trademark. Yeah, the fruit hat. That came from 1943. Wow. By 1945, she was the highest paid woman in the United States. Damn. Miranda made 14 Hollywood films between 1940 and 1953, and despite being stereotyped, Miranda's performances popularized Brazilian music and increased public awareness of Latin culture. In 1941, she was the first Latin American star to be invited to leave her hand in footprints in the courtyard of Grauman's oh, Chinese Theater man. in Los Angeles in Hollywood and was the first South American honored with a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I bet that just burned up all those white people. <laughs> I, That's I don't want to think about it. She That's obviously so cool. deserved it and like worked herself yeah. to the bone. And I'm not sure exactly what she passed from but obviously she passed at a pretty young age so that's pretty sad she wasn't here for a long time she was here for a good time yeah and a good time she had it seems i hope anyway she gave us all good times but anyway now you know the reason behind all of those fruit headdresses in cartoons and i just this is also one of those things that makes courage feel much more mid-century than mm -hmm. late century yeah, the fruit hat though it's one of those things you see so many times throughout childhood that you don't even really does, like question it thing. or process that it is fruit. That's how I felt. It was just like, that's a thing that happens. It's just something. It's even in, yeah. um, I feel like it's even kind of in Lion King. Oh, if yeah. If you're hungry for a hunger fat and juice, meet me, my buddy over here because he is a treat. Mm -hmm. Come on down to that. Oh, Stacey's fine. All you got to do is get in line. Wow. Are you aching? Yep, yep, yep. Do I have anyway. to quote a Christmas story now? Yeah, you can if you want. No. All right. How much time do we have? <laughs> I can do all of Lion King. You can do all of Christmas story. It'll be great. Um. Where were we? Fruit headdresses. Yes. Pink dogs, cryptids, fruit headdresses. Food fight. <laughs> the food fight. So now that Courage and Bigfoot are familiar with each other, of course, this nice moment can't last either because it's Courage the cowardly freaking dog. Mm -hmm. So Eustace comes home. What's for dinner? <clears throat> <clears throat> And after being momentarily frightened by the monster himself, he heads out to share the news. Yeah, and very quickly. In approximately 12 seconds, <laughs> he has assembled an angry mob complete with torches and pitchforks outside the house. They just forewent the like three hours later. It, it was, yeah, exactly. They didn't even care about that. Later. It was just, they're here now. Yeah. They were, they were primed and ready to come to wherever Bigfoot happened to be, I guess. Those are the thoughts that I have about this mob. This might be the most people we ever see at their little house in nowhere. If they are people. Can't quite tell because it's kind of a all one entity, as we'll discuss. Mm, yes. But they throw rocks through the window, chanting and demanding for Bigfoot to be given up. Eustace brandishes his iron torture collar and tells Marilee, get out of the way because there's a Bigfoot in the house. And I don't know how much of this is her blissful ignorance and how much is her actually being aware of Bigfoot's friendly nature and coming to his defense. But still, 
she threatens Eustace with a rock. So I'll take it. <laughs> she did feed him a pie. So it kind of feels, you know. He feels like a like family. Like she's met him, welcomed him in. Like, right. you poor thing, you need a pie. Are you hungry? Right. So he's, you yeah, know, she's, he's in with Because Muriel. like David and Jody said, you know, she sees no evil. Right. She's just welcoming him into her home, being hospitable. Meanwhile, the mob has brought a giant battering ram around to the front door, and they're just about to break it down. Hmm. I've never seen any trees in nowhere, much less one that big, to create a battering ram that big. You saw a tree in the quack? Just one? Okay. But but was it this big? It was huge. He used it. Courage used it to swing from the tree into the mm. upstairs window. Oh, you're right. You're so right. But where did it go? I guess they cut it down for this battering ram. These things pop up and come and go. They do. When convenient. Yeah, when necessary. So the mob is demanding Bigfoot be brought outside. And Bigfoot pulls a Courage instead and bursts through the kitchen wall, snapping and snarling. Courage tries his charades again to let the mob know Bigfoot is actually an angel and he means no harm to the people. He just wants pie and to dance the samba. <laughs> Me too. The mob is relentless as Eustace goes them on. And at this point, I'm like, even if they split the reward, which we all know Eustace isn't going to do, they <laughs> no. would make maybe a nickel a piece, if that. At most. There's so many people. But I just feel like I should say, get a grip, Noarians. <laughs> What's in it for you? <laughs> you know? If they are Noarians. From the mob then emerges the tiny lady from before. What do you want to Revealing herself to be Bigfoot, I mean Theodore's mother. Theodore! They run toward each other dramatically and join in an embrace. And the mob is moved by this as we hear cries of aww. And their eyes go from like upward to down. Upward and angry. No, from downward to upward. The The curve. They're not angry anymore. Now they're sympathetic and empathetic. Yep. And Eustace is undeterred, taking this opportunity to snap the torture collar to Theodore's ankle. Freaking And in comes the rolling pin of doom. Do you remember that from TV uh, Tropes in the previous do. episode? Sure do. Eustace, take that collar off the child's ankle. No! Yes! But he's petulant and resists, as we know Eustace is. But now the mob has turned on him instead. Yeah. Like... They do, chasing him down to advocate for the child's freedom and giving him a taste of his own medicine. Mm. I do appreciate the depiction of an angry mob in this way with the hint of tongue-in-cheek irony at their fickle nature. Yeah. I feel like the angry mob was a concept I was already pretty familiar with from Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> right. And plus, in both of these cases, the mob is proven to be the scary thing with all of their misplaced zeal and convoluted groupthink and not actually the beast that they're after. Yeah, well, this comes from... Frankenstein. Yeah. Like the classic chasing the monster, quote, quote unquote monster, sure. into the windmill, setting fire to it. Yeah. Like this is classic uh, horror. And it's always with that perspective of you're chasing an innocent. You're trying to harm something that actually isn't bad. It's different. It's misunderstood, you know? Like it's the misunderstood monster. Like, like watch any Tim Burton movie, literally any Tim Burton movie. Yes. And it's the same story over and over. It just, it, it exists, it deserves love, mm -hmm. and your hatred actually makes you the monsters. So true. Yeah, mob mentality and all that kind of stuff, all that, yes. all that sociology is wild stuff. It's absolutely wild. And listener, I'll just say, if you ever find yourself in the midst of an angry mob, step back <laughs> and analyze what you're doing. You can also do this online. Absolutely like people gang up in can. threads and like chats and stuff and like people get all bent out of shape and burned up about nothing. Yeah. It's just fueling that flame. Exactly. And like, 
Earlier, I called it an amorphous blob mob. Blob mob. A blobby. It is a blob mob. Mob. My takeaway wasn't even that they are nowhere citizens. It isn't even that they're people. Like, I know this is like a super convenient way to not have to animate dozens of people. Right. So you just sort of make, you take the whole like concept of a mob mentality. Right. And you actually animate them to be one thing creature almost. Mm -hmm. And they're, because they're fully cast in shadow and all you can see is their like, their outlines and their eyes. So they're little more than silhouettes. Right. And in a way, because they're faceless, um, shapeless, formless, all this stuff, they themselves pretty much become a cryptid in their own right. Like they are their own entity yeah. that exists in nowhere. Yeah. And they can be called upon by anybody who has this, this, I don't know, energy, this need, this hatred, like Eustace has when he flees the house. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like 12 seconds. And you call this other you thing. You almost this, this call it. entity in nowhere. Yes. Ugh. And it shows up at your behest. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where my mind went with it. Yikes. This is just one of the many mysteries. Like, I don't hate it as a thought. I think it's a it's a very uh, astute thing to realize, but I hate it as a concept. And like, like you said, it's fickle. Mobs are fickle. Mm-hmm. So it did learn. It's funny because like, Courage experiences Bigfoot, the monster, Mm -hmm. and realizes that they're the same and became friends. Mm -hmm. And he goes from fearing it to trying to protect it. And the mob does the same thing. So it's like, these are really incredible lessons in empathy, like we talked about with David and Jody of like, normalize changing your mind, right? Like once new information is presented. This thing that you thought you hated, maybe you don't hate it that much. Maybe you were just following the wrong leader. Yep. Maybe somebody was just trying to get you all, you know, up in arms, roused, roused up to to serve their own agenda, their own exactly. purpose. Exactly. So maybe the next time somebody gets you all flustered and, and not mm, in a good way, maybe you should. Yeah, not in a good way. I mean, if you can get if you can get flustered, <laughs> by all means, go go get it. Anyway, yeah, I, I just think it's a really really cool depiction of human nature, right. um, meeting. New information and empathy and learning how to choose right. It's pretty smart, but it's also, it's also something to, to remember that if the group can turn on a dime that quickly, maybe their convictions weren't as solid as you thought they were. Right. It's both things for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. So Courage frees Theodore, who's dragged off by the ear as his mother scolds him. Next time you want to play, stay in our backyard. <laughs> He's like, Mama. That's where I got the whole, like, he was just playing with the pie, trying to get Courage to, like, play with him. Maybe. Yeah. He was just looking for a friend. He, was, he didn't really want to take it. That's all he wanted was a friend. Yeah. So the episode wraps up with Courage and Muriel on their porch under the stars, enjoying slices of blueberry pie. To the camera, Courage says, There's a little Bigfoot in us all, isn't there? <laughs> before a banana inexplicably appears in his mouth. I know. Residue from the food fight, what I guess. What was that? Where'd what it come happened? from? I don't what know. I don't know. I, I hope you would e- know, because I, I don't know. I can't explain the ending. No. This I think you could have <laughs> just said... There's a little Bigfoot in us all, isn't there? Winked at the camera, something, and then it's... Even that know, feels like lights off. we're out of time. Yeah. We just need something. <laughs> the banana was weird, though. It was weird. It was very strange. The echo of uh, Carmina Miranda. 
But overall, I appreciated this episode because much like the shadow in the last episode, we're called, like you said, to be empathetic Mm -hmm. to the creatures that we were once afraid of and put ourselves in their shoes for a change. And there are some big shoes on a Bigfoot. I think despite not always being remembered for this because of all the, you know, scary visuals, this is one of the things that Courage the Cowardly Dog does best as a show. Yeah. Deep down, we are all the same, and we'd all do well to cross the imaginary boundary lines built by assumption and bigotry and blind hatred and work on embracing our similarities instead of our differences. So thank you, Courage and your creators. But now... Before we get into Hothead, it's time for the Scareometer. Yeah, buddy, let's do it. Everybody's favorite part. So, <laughs> do, do you guys like this? Like, I don't does know. Does anybody care? I'd say I give this episode a two. I was going to say two. Personally yeah. For you. <laughs> two. Um, but we recognize, we do recognize, listener, at the end of the day, it's really not meant to be scary. It's not about the It's scare. not supposed to be. And I can dig that. Our show is not about how scary it is. No. But we just started, you know, we just started doing the scareometer. Right. Just for the hell of it. Because it's kind of fun. Just for the hell of it. Yeah, our show isn't even about how scary it is. But it's just fun, okay? It's fun. It's just fun. Let us have a good time. Let us have fun. Nobody, <laughs> literally nobody is Nobody. <laughs> They're at home making They're their like, own scareometers. Okay. They're God, sitting there with guys, their spouses. Why are you so angry? Their partners, their friends. They're like, okay, what do you have for this one? I have a three. Yeah, let's see if we match Kaylin and Christian. Oh, they gave it a two. God, these guys are so brave. I had a six. I'm so scared of Bigfoot. So funny. Yeah, write in, listener. Let us know your scareometers for the episode. Truly, the only fear factor, the only frightening element is that there is something outside in the house mm-hmm. that you can't quite see. Yeah. And it's <laughs> knocking over your trash cans. And I mean, I mean, the mob is pretty scary. I'm not going to lie. When there's an angry mob mobilized against you, that's terrifying. And obviously we know they can be mobilized for the wrong reasons. They can. And often are. Just saying. But that's Bigfoot. It's still a fun episode. I like it's it. It's a fun one. I, I had fun looking into... The Bigfoot lore, at least. I thought that was really, um, mm-hmm. I thought it was apropos for our show. And I was surprised, honestly, that we hadn't had reason to do it before. And given the whole like classic horror mob chasing a monster thing, I like that they got to use that in the show. Mm-hmm. It's such a like. It's the Frankenstein, like you said. It is. I mean, it it's, just is. it's the classic. It's it's a trope in itself yeah. of horror cinema. Yes. That you kind of. It is a horror cinema trope for sure. If you're going to do that for something like for a show, like I hope I get to use it for something one day. It's almost like a rite of passage. For horror. It's just a great visual. Agreed. Man, it's been such a cool summer. We, you know. Yeah, guys. Warm up. Did Christian tell you yet (laughs) what he's been doing during the hottest days on record that the earth has experienced so far? I bought a full autumn and winter supply of firewood. (laughs) And <laughs> when he texted me that he was making this purchase, I literally to myself laughed out loud because I was like, of course you are. It's super convenient Christian because doing this. I don't have a trailer hook up to my SUV and they delivered to my home two pallets and each pallet is about a thousand pounds. So you could say I just bought a ton of firewood. <laughs> well, <laughs> Quite you don't literally. Even, it's not even something you could say. It's something you should say. You literally, I true. literally bought a, a ton. And I was like, how does Christian cope? The hottest summer on record. I buy buys firewood in bulk. <laughs> firewood in bulk. Man. And wish for autumn. What a time we've been having. Really great times. Really fun times in the American South. 
So on that lovely note, let's transition <laughs> on to the second segment of our Courage episode. Let's get into this episode and not think about the wet bulb temperatures yeah, and how those are rising. Let's just talk about hotheads, shall we? Let's think about something else rising. Yowza, yowza. <laughs> Excitingly, this seems to be the first episode, the very first episode written by our friend, and I love that I can call him our friend. David Stephen Cohen. Mm -hmm. He's out there on the front lines yep. on the Writers Guild strike. He sure is right now. Good luck to you, David, and Godspeed. Wearing his Courage t-shirt and everything. I love it. But David made it pretty clear throughout our conversation that he was mostly just executing John's vision for a lot of the episodes. But I do like that we can still unearth pieces of him now that we all know him together. You guys know him, you know, basically just as well as we do yep. as we explore his episodes. Yes. I know that we will be getting into that a lot more as we move through the season. Yes. But I love that this is his first episode, and I think it's so fun. <laughs> in summary, this time paraphrased from TV Tropes. All right. After reading an ad in the newspaper, Eustace goes to a testing facility hoping that they can help him grow some hair. Unfortunately, the new experimental product causes explosive results. Mm, explosive results. That was mine, by the way. I paraphrase, like I said. Nice. But we once again open in the bag's living room, where Eustace is reading the Noir News and is captivated by an ad promising hair growth. Old, we want you. Ooh, gone today, hair tomorrow. Experimental Institute. <laughs> I love that. See, so funny. You know, so like this is, I could see John Dilworth's vision being like, all right, Eustace is bald. He sees an ad for hair growth. It goes horribly wrong. Ready, go. Yeah. Yeah. So any of the puns, any of the humor, the, the dialogue, it is all David. It's it's David and I really love it. Just it just shines yeah. through. It absolutely does. Gone today, hair tomorrow. In the Nowhere News, uh, in this article, it says that the Institute is located at 123 Testing Street. <laughs> so good. Keep it simple. You know what? Why try harder than you have to? So as he contemplates a life with hair, Muriel asks him to fix her creaking rocking chair, but he brushes her off. And he decides to go to the Institute where the product is being manufactured and go get in on the trial. Mm -hmm. Muriel insists that Courage go along as he's in need of a haircut. <laughs> and despite not being expressly stated, this could be another example of Muriel and Eustace miscommunicating because Muriel's only hearing bits and pieces of his grumblings yeah, about hair. That makes sense. Eustace and Courage fire up the pickup truck and Eustace claims that Courage looks good enough to him, seeming to imply that there will be no grooming for Courage today. Uh, though Muriel does compliment him on it later. Yeah. Again, I like how happy later. Courage looks to be like going for a ride. Yeah. He's like, hey, I'm in Even the car. Even though it's, you know, Eustace. It's still, it's, he's still going somewhere different, which is He's funny. still a dog. He's still a dog. And a lot of dogs do enjoy a good ride in the pickup truck. Oh, a good ride for a good boy. Instead of going to the groomer, Eustace pulls up to the Institute, a rather Dr. Seuss looking structure, which I'm immediately getting very, very bad vibes from. I wonder if that's not something that's like instilled in us from an early age, maybe even because we grew up in religious circles. Mm -hmm. um, and you guys who didn't, let us know your take on this. But we were taught about the Tower of Babel. Oh, true, yes. And how evil it was that man would have such audacity how dare to build the tallest tower in all existence and try to like yeah reach god and so the moral is that you don't right um or god's going to destroy your tower and separate all of you mm -hmm. and that's where that's the explanation for all the different types of people across the world having different like languages right so like 
these tall buildings reaching up through the clouds, you instantly have that fear of like something's wrong here. Right. This is a place where it's experimental. It's a lab. It's all official and scientific. We talked about with the pies of like, it would have to look official. Mm -hmm. This place looks legit. It looks legit, but. And they promise Mm. you good things. Mm. But the insidious underbelly, the underside of this whole thing is that they will always push it too far. Like with the Tower of Babel. Right. Building a tall building isn't a bad thing. It's pushing it far enough that you want to achieve the greatness of a creator God. Yeah. You want to play God. In general, a God complex is a bad thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if that is just a metaphor from scripture, pretty cool shit. Because it's like, you know what? Don't play God. Mm-hmm. Just, just don't. Just don't even do it. <laughs> don't put yourself on that level, I guess. Because you're going to get struck down. I... Personally, I have always been afraid of like medical testing. It honestly, a lot of it goes back to batty, right? Animal testing and such. This has that same sheen. Yeah, you're right. Same. It's all for the money, and it's not really about what is happening to the humans or the humanity. Well, because like subjected to it, they're unwitting. You go in with these promises, and you become a lab rat. Exactly. It's like I think we all kind of have that fear of like just not right, whether it's a rat or not. I mean, we just talked about uh, quacks. It's harmful, right? We're all afraid of like giving ourselves to something that has these like totally unexpected and horrifying results. I mean, you know me, every single side effect mm-hmm. I'm prone to have from a medication. So it's yeah. it's never easy to put yourself into the hands of a drug. And the fact that you can like sign up for like a testing a new product or like mm-hmm. test a new medication, like Just, you can I agree mean, to this. But the thing about it is clinical trials are so necessary they are. for they are. development of medicine i'm not saying it's it's, bad but yeah it's just a it's a tricky thing and it's scary it's scary for a young child especially especially for me with all the the health anxieties that i had i would just Um, say it's a scary concept eustace probably isn't the kind of person who would read the fine print right especially when he wants something so bad he's like screw the consequences i'm going for it so uh yeah just read the fine print right we advocate for Awareness. Somewhere in there, it might say that if you get too angry while using this product, too upset, you can kill your loved ones. Mm. We're getting ahead of ourselves, listener. Oh, whoops. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Are we talking about family annihilators today? I mean, <laughs> oh god, it seems kind of icky. I don't know. Oh god. Okay. So, <laughs> in the lobby of the institute, they see yes. an older man, a character that we come to know Thank in the you. series as Floyd, yeah. uh, voiced also by Mr. Dilworth. Oh, wow. He's graciously accepting a bottle of this infamous product from an unseen uh, scientist behind Mm. a door, kissing it as he goes. And while they sit in the lobby, Courage and Eustace, an eerie Jody and Andy rendition of the song Beautiful Dreamer, uh, a parlor song by Stephen Foster, which I'm very proud to say I recognized before looking it up. I recognized the the melody, but I did not know the song. I knew the words, and I want to ask you, listener... And Christian, if you remember, did we have some kind of toy that played this song in the 90s? I have a memory of hearing this song over and over. If it was like a baby doll with a crib or like I had a toy, I swear, that played the Beautiful Dreamer melody. And so I knew it. And I, I don't know why I even knew it said Beautiful Dreamer. So I don't know how I knew that, but it was deep, deep, deep in my subconscious. And Jody and Andy really just played to that. Which I think is so great because they somehow knew Mm -hmm. that it's just kind of in there, you know? Yeah. But that being said, so 
Stephen Foster, the man that originated the song, is often referred to as the father of American music. Wow. Uh, he also wrote such classics as Oh Susanna, okay. Camp Town Races, which I thought was called Camp Town Ladies. It's not. <laughs> um, Swanee River and Hard Times Come Again No More. All right. Wow. The sterile, impersonal vibe of the Institute, like I'm saying, gives me the worst feeling. It's so liminal in there. Yeah, and the lullaby does not help mm-hmm. anything. They knew exactly what they were doing with this. Something smells fishy or my name's Schlinkenhofer. And it's not. <laughs> and it's not. I appreciated that. They bring Eustace to an empty uh, mental hospital-esque room with a Big Brother camera and ask him questions over the loudspeaker, such as, mm. when did you lose your hair? He answered, I was born, (laughs) and starts to speak, but he's interrupted. Was your father bored? A little on the... Was your mother bored? Me, Sister, brother, second cousin, twice removed. (laughs) Um, This is often how those forms at the doctor's office feel. Yes. Uh, Aggression and all, I relate. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that comes from, but I know I saw something recently. I cannot remember the name of it. It's a kind of familiar trope. I feel like it comes from something. In science fiction media, history? Maybe, uh Cinema? The processing of the patient or the processing of the person in and through, you know, yeah. the system and it's all just, questions. Yeah, more allusions to being like a lab rat. Right. The people behind, you know, the mirror can, right. are watching Who you. are they? Who's on the other side of the two-way mirror kind of thing? And are they responsible for the nowhere landscape? Uh, the last question, though, puzzles Eustace further and likely also the young viewer, such as myself, especially since I was not... In any way, shape, or form, a uh, math whiz. What's 414 divided by 6? Christian, do you know the answer to this? Nope. <laughs> well, I'm glad to tell you and, uh, dear listener, the answer to this question is 69. <laughs> <laughs> we see you, David Stevens. I wish I just guessed 69. You sly dog. <laughs> mm. Also, in this world of cure-all promises and mysterious products, I'm reminded of a concept from our LeQuack episode, snake oil. Yeah. But the origin of the snake oil idea was actually uh, pointed out to us by a listener, and I think it's a good time to sneak it in. Hell yeah. It turns out that snake oil did originally have healing properties, and it wasn't always synonymous with quacks and charlatans. But as with many things, Western medicine f***ed it up. (laughs) I'm turning to Wikipedia to lay it out for us here, but thank you again to our listener, um, Sally St. Rose, again, uh, who came in clutch. But oil from Chinese water snakes has been used for centuries in Chinese traditional medicine to treat joint pain, such as arthritis and bursitis. And it's been suggested that the use of snake oil in the United States may have originated with Chinese railway laborers in the mid-19th century who worked long days uh, with a lot of physical labor. Yeah. Chinese snake oil may have had real benefits due to its high concentration of the omega-3 fatty acid, EPA. It actually has more of that than salmon does. That's like, wow. you know, touted everywhere for the omega-3 yeah. quantity. I intentionally eat salmon for the uh, health benefits. There you go. <laughs> it's also delicious. It's the steak of the of the sea, of the rivers. <laughs> the steak of the Where does salmon come from? I don't know. River sounds more right to me. Ooh, buddy. In a modern study, uh, Irabu sea snake oil was found to significantly improve the ability of mice to learn mazes, speaking of lab rats, um, and also their swimming endurance over mice that were fed lard. So there's something to it, maybe. But I feel like if you're fed lard, it's not going to do anything for you. Weigh you down. But all that to say that there was, at one time, snake oil that was 
real, right? It had real health benefits. Right. It wasn't always a joke. It wasn't always wasn't like always a reference to a reference, you know, a fake remedy of some kind. Exactly. Exactly. Those quack selfers. But this is where quack that selfers. origin came from because later the rattlesnake oil that was later sold by Charlatans mm. playing at it and bastardizing the idea of snake oil as a cure yeah. never actually contained a significant amount of snake oil or of omega-3 or really anything else helpful. Mm. It's likely that most, if not all, of the snake oil sold by Western entrepreneurs was illegitimate and never contained ingredients derived from any kind of snake. Yeah, that's wild. So it's the whole idea that they were selling snake oil. It wasn't even made from snakes. I would even think that going from like whatever water snake that is to a rattlesnake is already drastically different. Right. Like I would just think that they just assume it's a snake, so it's got to work, right? Yeah. But even that, that's not like one-to-one. It's never going to be one-to-one. Wow. For sure. Of mice and water snakes, like the old saying goes. <laughs> so snake oil in the United Kingdom and the United States probably contain modified mineral oil. Mm. William Rockefeller Sr., ah. the father of John D. Rockefeller, yeah. actually peddled snake oil. Wow. The fake kind. Is that how he made his fortune? Perhaps. Maybe the that's initial? where it began. That's wild. Before snake oil was the joke that it is now. Proud to be an American. As you briefly touched on in reference to all that quackery in the quack episode, (laughs) there were no federal regulations in the United States concerning the safety and effectiveness of drugs until the 1906 Pure Food and Drug Act. Mm -hmm. So the widespread marketing and availability of dubiously advertised patent medicines without known properties or origin persisted in the United States for a much greater number of years than in Europe. Hmm. Go figure. Not surprised. Of course, in this episode, we don't have an exact example of snake oil, successful or not, because it doesn't even do or not do what is promised or described by the product and instead does something totally unexpected. That it does. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the side effects of anything are pretty scary. Usually, and in my experience, I've had worse times with the side effects than with the issue that I'm taking the drug treat i mean like you can't even see a commercial for any kind of drug without being like um beware you might shit yourself to death like i know i know this causes testicular cancer and ovarian cancer but you know what uh it might keep you from having tummy aches so it's really worth it and not only that but the united states is one of the only countries if not the only country that allows advertisements of prescription drugs like that as long as they give you all the side effects Mm -hmm. death is always there it's they're like even death or death (laughs) all these things as everybody smiles (laughs) happily on the screen the stock image and photography videography that they use may cause migraines heart palpitations uh infertility even death even death (laughs) like oh my god oh my god you're gonna feel great when you take it (laughs) but that hammer toe is gonna become a screw toe I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I don't know. Screwball. What'd you call me? <laughs> While Courage panics in the waiting room to an increasingly menacing sounding beautiful dreamer and eventually frees himself to find the restroom, Eustace is put through his paces with a series of tests that seem more akin to carnival rides. High winds, drops, high speed spinning. It's like astronaut testing. Yeah, the works. Like he's going to space. And at the end of the tests, he is approved for the trial, though appearing rather worse for wear, all contorted and such. Uh, that's exactly how I would look if put through all of those rides in succession now. Sure. Yeah, no, I'd be throwing up everywhere. Oh, me too. Yeah, I would not pass that test. I'm just going to tell you right now. No, I would fail. I, I would fail but so they, hard. They pass anybody. I think they're only really... Uh, requirement is that you're bald. True. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't think they would really care if we got sick. The rest of it's just more for fun. 
In the restroom, Courage sees Floyd, who is applying his new magic hair product before washing his hands and noticing that the paper towel dispenser is empty. This fills the previously very mild-mannered Floyd with a blind, all-encompassing rage, and it's pretty off-putting to watch, not gonna lie. It's kind of like the Brave Little Toaster air conditioner scene all over again. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Only it works in this universe. Only in this universe. It makes sense. It projects outward, right? But you know what? Floyd isn't wrong, though. It's the worst when your hands oh, are soaking wet and you than go... to reach for a paper towel and not have... Well, there is. That's not true. The worst thing is when there's no toilet paper. That is a bit worse. You're correct. But still rage-inducing all the same. You're correct. But from this building, slowly intensifying rage that we see, the paper towel dispenser is blown to smithereens, revealing a hole in the building where live-action clouds pass by. That's right. It's one of the earlier examples of their mixing mediums, I think, on the show. Hmm. So this power where the thing that you're angry at spontaneously combusts would possibly be a form of what the internet calls phragokinesis hmm. uh, or explosion inducement. That's cool. Um, this fictional, I guess, thing <laughs> is defined as the ability to create and manipulate explosions of any kind and size. Of course, in this case, it doesn't seem like the instigator has a ton of control or say in the matter mm -hmm. with the frago or the kinesis. <laughs> with either or. And the, the frago kinesis to me as a, as a student of language and words made inherent sense mm -hmm. if it is, you know, even still fictional. It's kind of a, a beautiful word, despite what it <laughs> What it does. Despite what it does and what it means. <laughs> and just yeah. in time for the Oppenheimer superpower. Uh, release coming up soon. I know, I know. <laughs> this is so timely. Who knew? The timeliness of this episode. That's funny. At first this made me think of like pyrokinesis. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I was I was thinking of like the Firestarter story. That's yeah, like Stephen okay. King's story. Yes. Even Carrie. Yep. I thought about Carrie too. Just the mention of any type of like power that someone has that they don't quite understand or know how to control. It's become a ubiquitous thing mm -hmm. to have like fear or trauma or horror based yes. telepathy or whatever, telekinesis. Powers. But this specifically is against your will, blowing something Coming up. Just from this product that you've... Uh, Put on your skin. This aspect of this episode made me think of MK Ultra. Sure. The sterile nature of these like secret, illegal human experiments yeah. that many, many unwitting people were subjected to. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people, it wasn't just MK Ultra. There were a lot of uh, American government experiments and oh, like yeah. U.S. military experiments. I'm getting um, Stranger Things That's, vibes. <laughs> all that is directly what inspired Stranger Things um, with the Hawkins Lab mm -hmm. and how they were doing all these tests on these children who may or may not possess these telekinetic powers, these psychic mm -hmm. powers. The, the predisposition for certain things, yeah. Yeah. And trying to like enhance them, I guess. That's what I always thought of it as. Yeah, yeah, for sure. With MK Ultra though, weren't they like... They were trying to develop drugs yeah. for interrogation. Their main focus was, yes, using drugs and other types of psychological torture. And it was all for the purposes of interrogation, like you said, and like brainwashing. The CIA. This like, was the legitimately CIA. the CIA, not just like some underground, mm -mm, like, no. let's figure this out. I mean, it was underground. Rogue science. It was well, secret. It was underground. But it wasn't like rogue scientists doing some sort of human experimentation. It was the CIA. It was the CIA. That's so crazy mm -hmm. to me. There were other branches that did specifically try to harness mind powers, um, <laughs> weird pockets of history. Yeah. Uh, so it's all kind of like 
meshed together in that Cold War era of American history. You gotta love the 60s. Like one real life experiment, like to give an example of the trauma that can come from this is Ted Kaczynski. Mm. He was experimenting on at Harvard and he became the Unabomber. I don't even think I remembered that. Mm -hmm. I've definitely seen documentaries. I should remember that. If I remember correctly, it was just him signing up for a psychological experiment at school Hmm. and it turned into... Um, hours of psychological abuse and torture. Oh my God. It's tricky because like, obviously me being a student of like psychology, sociology, especially, I love all of that stuff. I love the science of it. And I recognize that sometimes there is, you know, the necessity for not to say psychological experiments, obviously (laughs) abuse is not okay. Never. The abuse of it is where there's a line, obviously. Right. Um, But human behavior and studying human behavior in different scenarios has brought us a lot of important science and facts about mental illness and mental health in general. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's definitely just a line. There's definitely a line. That you have to walk. Yeah. But when it comes to like an experiment, they say just having the experiment at all already changes the behavior of the subjects. True. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really hard to get an accurate. Yeah. When uh, it comes to human behavior, it's very hard to get that like clean slate mm -hmm. that you need. Yeah. Unless the participant is unaware, which is I think (laughs) where where the abuse starts to creep in. Exactly. And this is why probably hundreds of people, if not more, were drugged without their own knowledge or consent. Right. Just to see... What would happen? Like, I mean, they were, they literally invented acid and gave it to people (laughs) just to see what would happen. Just to see. Fragokinesis. All right. That's pretty crazy. It's pretty dark, too. Pretty dark, especially because you can use it to murder your own family. (laughs) So, Courage watches from the adjacent toilet, absolutely terrified. And in the explosion, the bottle of product rolls over toward him where he catches a glimpse of the warning label. Warning when using, do not get angry, do not get mad. Do not get upset, or else... There's not a single mott man in my lineage that should have ever used this product. Well, did they have to? They're not bald. No, I don't think baldness... That's good. That's a good thing. I don't really know. (laughs) Angry? That, I know. You know the anger The anger issues, absolutely. (laughs) So Courage sprints down a liminal checkered hallway in search of Eustace, but he's too late. Eustace has already been presented with his own bottle of the product. Mm. Courage does his charades, appearing as a very convincing Atomic Floyd to no avail. <laughs> and Eustace is only worried about how he got off his leash. I was going to say, no, this is the second instance where you are Courage, or Courage is you. Because <laughs> he does the whole charade, mm-hmm. and then Eustace is like, How'd you get off your leash? Yep. And then Courage, like you would do, mm-hmm. goes, fine, okay, puts the... <laughs> Yep. Puts the collar on. The, yep. I'm trying. And then continues to try to Now will you listen to me? <laughs> just like, we solve the issue that you're presenting so that I can present my issue. Just the flabbergastedness, the frustration that you feel in situations where people are not listening to yes. you. Where yes. you're like, fine, you want the f***ing leash? You got the leash. You want the collar around my neck? I'll do it. By golly, I'll do it. And then you're going to listen to me. You've got to listen to me anyway. If that's what helps you open your goddamn ears <laughs> so you can hear me, then I'll do it. Yeah, I do love courage in that moment. I did find him rather relatable <laughs> just, throughout so, this whole episode. It's so endearing. I love how he just he just gave it. Yeah. He's like, fine. Put on the damn okay, leash. Okay, I'll put on the damn but leash. Let's talk about my thing now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just so relatable. <laughs> <laughs> so on the way home, after Eustace applies some of the product... 
They're cut off by a dude in a convertible who I thought for a second when I was watching was going to flip him off because he, he just gives him the fist. extends his fist to the camera. Watch where you're going, you fool. I think he was, I think that was the intent. I think so too. You fool. Um, we come to know this character as Dai Lung, uh, a recurring antagonist in the series mm -hmm. voiced by Tim Chi Lai, one of Courage's animators and graphic designers. All right. Do John Dilworth did an interview where he talked about including Tim in the show and he just loved the way that Tim like presented all of his lines and that's he cool yeah kind of wrote the character around him which this I think is, is one of the like cool. extraneous characters that I remember very well sure yeah he appears multiple multiple he, many yeah, times he pops up yeah his name can actually be seen Tim's name can be seen on the license plate of Dai Lung's car too nice. as he speeds off uh speeds off to his demise we see mm. uh because he explodes a couple of miles away after this established building rage occurs mm. and honestly i think eustace would have had the right-of-way in the scenario anyway oh totally <laughs> like yeah so no. i can't really blame him for getting heated about that i would 100 percent be angry about i'd that. have gotten mad too mm -hmm. but of course the product amps up that anger and turns it deadly yeah as if Courage needed more reason to be afraid of Eustace. Because he's like, it's only a matter of time before he gets super pissed at me or at Muriel. Me, at Muriel. And then it's all going to come crashing and down. And then murders us. So back at home, Eustace is doing perhaps the only thing we've ever seen him do for Muriel. He's trying to fix her rocking chair. Quite calmly. But of course, not until he's been asked multiple times. Yeah. And applied some more of his anger juice. Eustace, could you fix this dreadful squeak? Oh, I relate to Muriel here, too, because any sound like that, oh boy. It's a I lot. I cannot stand it. I mean, it's bothersome. Oh, it bothers me so much. So Eustace hammers away while Muriel sits in the chair, but Courage visualizes an exploding Muriel, of course, yes. and brings his food bowl as a distraction to get her out of harm's way, which, I mean, we've all had a dog that brings our their food bowl to us, or, you know, my cats will just dig in their food bowl if it's empty, mm -hmm. alerting us to that. And of course, she gets up and obliges Courage. And Eustace becomes frustrated with the repair. As his anger is building, the ringing of the telephone is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And it gets just snapped, zapped to oblivion. Something's got to, because what would Muriel do without her rocking chair? Yeah, I know. I hope that, yeah, I hope that it's not the rocking chair that he destroys, because that is her prized mm -mm. possession. Mm -mm. But honestly, when you really think about it, the way that we think about things on That's Pretty Dark... These scenes are sort of heartbreaking because Courage is desperately trying to keep Muriel at a safe distance from Eustace's outbursts. Mm -hmm. And it feels like maybe, just maybe, this has an undercurrent of inspiration from that feeling of knowing that any little annoyance or uh, disagreement could set off your abusive or reactive parent or caregiver. Yep. It's the hypervigilance. And yes, the hypervigilance of knowing that the snap could come at any time and that feeling of complete doom and terror when it would inevitably come. Mm -hmm. The feeling of walking on eggshells all the time. Yep. And what's more, the feeling that you need to protect other loved ones from their wrath. Yeah. I see a lot of underlying trauma here. Becomes that responsibility of the child to protect the other to protect parents. the other parents. Yada, yada, yada. The, the one who's in denial or... Right, exactly, yeah. The one who's know, in denial. Dismissal of the actual emotional abuse that's occurring. Outburst, anger. Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a really... It's pretty dark. I mean, it's a dark place to take it, but it's, you can't yeah. help but see that in it when you're looking at it from an adult's perspective, you know? I think that's exactly what they're going for. Yeah, it's that that threat of domestic violence mm -hmm. that uh, Dilly talked about. Yeah, you just never know when it's going to come. 
In the kitchen, Muriel tries unsuccessfully to open what she calls a can of dog food, but it looks like a jar to me. Whatever, it has a lid. You was just because you get this darn can open. <laughs> and it looks like a uh, like a ice cream container yeah, from like Ben like and Jerry's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a pint. But she can't open it, so she calls to Eustace for help. Buddy boy. And this causes Courage's whole plan to backfire. So that's even worse to me when the thing that you did to try and correct or save the person in the situation mm-hmm. creates even more danger. Yeah. Eustace is unable to open the jar, and we see that rage start to build. And I've definitely felt this way about jars I can't open <laughs> before. Um, not going to lie. I've probably turned just as red. That's one thing that irks me as well. Is just <laughs> because sometimes I'm like, I just can't get, like, I can't open this, and I need to. Like, it's aggravating. So knowing that he's you know, the cause of this new potential outburst, Muriel is saved by the doorbell because Courage thinks on his feet and goes outside to ring it and presents her with the mail from the mailbox. Saved by the bell. I can't help but think that that feels like such a I've been there, done that kind of paradigm. Like, that's something that you have to have been in that situation to think of doing almost the saved by the bell. Mm -hmm. It's just it feels very real to me in a weird way. Yeah. The whole kitchen basically explodes then, seeming to indicate that the more the product is used, the more the radius of the blast builds. Mm -hmm. And Eustace brings the singed can to an oblivious Muriel who doesn't re-enter the kitchen that's gone now, and she doesn't see that because she doesn't go back inside. Um, She instead takes up her sewing again in her rocking chair. You still haven't fixed the chair. But here she realizes that the chair is still creaking. And begins to lovingly chide Eustace about fixing it once more, claiming, I know you can fix it if you try. <laughs> I don't know. At that point, I'm like, Muriel, you got to stop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, watch out, Muriel. Watch. It's no, bothering no, I don't me. think she's doing anything wrong. It's not her fault. It's I'm not, not her fault. I'm not victim but like, blaming here. But if she noticed what was going on. If she could, yeah. She would at least be able to prevent Courage's fear in this scenario by not. It just comes a point know, where harping on something is just like, you know what? You got to chill. You're going to have to stop because I need a minute. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to need a minute. I'm going to need to leave the room and come back. I mean, that's on, that's on him, but. Sure. It's also like he, he obviously doesn't do that because he doesn't know how to manage his feelings either. No. No. Courage throughout this is doing everything he can think of to keep Eustace calm from rubbing his feet to fanning him with a palm leaf to playing the harp. <laughs> And this just further confirms that Stay underlying cool. trauma to me. Yeah. And if you relate to this from your childhood, I'm really sorry because we aren't responsible for the emotions of other people, least of all children and their caregivers. Right. And a parent's mood, though I know it very often does, should not ever dictate the entire emotional climate of the house. Not if the person is dealing with their own emotions in a responsible way. Well, if I can't fix the chair, could you at least thread my needle? One of the most frustrating things this you can is, buy. Yes. This is a rage-inducing task, I can attest. <laughs> oh, even with better eyesight than Muriel has, this mm. task frustrates even the most calm, I feel like, of individuals. Mm-hmm. So why ask Eustace this? But who else would she ask? Courage, maybe? I guess she doesn't think Courage is capable. She hasn't seen all the things he can do. <laughs> she doesn't know. She doesn't know. As we expect by this point, the rage begins to build in Eustace again. Courage snatches Muriel up, complete with her rocker, and makes a run for it, but can't get through the door because, of course, the grandfather clock has fallen over in front of it, and I'm not sure what prevents him from going through the wall like he so often does. Well, now he's holding an old lady. Now he's holding a lady in a rocker. It's harder. But the building threatening rage is only interrupted by a singular curly red hair appearing <laughs> on Eustace's head. 
This is one of those things I remember so well. Really? From being a kid. Yeah. That single curly red hair. Boing! Boing! However, upon inspection, the curl droops down. And for some reason, this angers Eustace again. Because <laughs> apparently he wanted curly hair. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He wanted to look like Bozo. Yeah, I guess. Not that you look like Bozo if you have curly red hair. I'm just making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, all you... <laughs> I love curly red hair personally. I wish my hair was red. It would well, make my yeah. curls a little more yeah, acceptable. Walk that back. Walk it back. Walking back. So Courage and Muriel burst through the window just as the rage reaches a fever pitch. And the whole house comes down when, I guess because the thing that he's angry at is on his head, it seems like Eustace himself explodes this time. Yeah, we don't see him again from Yeah, we don't, we don't see him again. So I, that's what I conclude. But in the aftermath... Muriel and Courage are rocking in her chair, and the ever-oblivious Muriel... How many times have I used the word oblivious today? An oblivious amount. An oblivious amount. Tells Courage... Courage, remind me to tell Eustace, whenever that man gets back, to fix this chair. Muriel, you gotta stop with the chair. I don't think she remembers that she said it is the thing. I think she genuinely is forgetting yeah. that she says it when she says it. You're probably not wrong. <laughs> Jeez. She doesn't seem to care that her house is gone. She doesn't even know. She's not even aware of it. But like you were talking about with the tree in... The uh, tree in uh, Lequeque. Things respawn. It's like a video game. They kind of reset. They just... Yeah. The, the world resets and we continue on in nowhere. And I really wish real houses worked like oh, that. Oh, Lord. I wish my AC could just, you know, reset whenever. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, because Eustace often is sort of given to the mercy of the episode construct. Right. Like he's always sort of like lost to whatever creature or concept has been introduced yeah but then next episode he's back like normal as if nothing ever happened that is an an interesting aspect of this of this universe but then again that's how uh, a lot of dysfunctional families (laughs) operate is that they explode or have terrible conflict or a terrible trauma happen and then they just pretend it never happened pretend like nothing happened yeah and like you were saying the scope of the explosion seems to get larger every time Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that too with explosive outbursts. Yeah. Explosive behavior and like it builds and emotional, builds. physical, verbal violence. Yep. You kind of do start it small. Escalates. And then it true. escalates because you, as the abuser, you learn what you can get away with. Yeah. So you push the boundary every time. Mm. And it's odd because at the same time, the victim in the scenario is also acclimating to that environment. Right. It's easy to forgive a step over the line versus leaps and bounds sure. over the line. And if it's steps and steps and steps that lead to that space. And if, if the line keeps getting pushed further and further and further. Right. Yeah. Eventually you're in no man's land. You're somewhere that you never intended to be. That's how it happens most of the time. Exactly. Yeah. And neither of you even know how you got there, but here you are and it's terrible. Mm. And that's kind of where... Eustace and Muriel live. Yeah, that's exactly where they live. This lifetime of marriage, you know, however long they've been married. Yep. She just takes it and takes it. She's just, just taking it forever. It and, and now Courage is just there living amongst this going, what the hell? How am I going to stop that? <laughs> How am I supposed to? Yeah. To him, like we and see feeling, it. Uh, and then feeling like it's his responsibility when it isn't. Yeah, he sees it. We can see it because it is foreign. It isn't normal. No. That's not how things should be. Nope. And yet they are. Far too many cases. So, on that uh, 
incredibly heavy and really triggering note. Mm -hmm. Should we <laughs> transition <laughs> yes. to our scareometer? <laughs> oh, let's start the music. Scareometer time. Scareometer. Scareometer. How scared were you? We need someone to illustrate us a scareometer. Oh, that'd be great. Show us what it I looks like that. to you. That'd be some dope merch, I will say. This is one of those where the episode isn't necessarily scary, but mm -hmm. the concept is very scary. Agreed. The whole like domestic violence, the, the overt violence. Yes. And the potential for like family annihilation. Yeah. Pushes it up into like a seven or an eight for me. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I, I guess I'll live somewhere in there. Six or seven, eight, something I, like that. Okay, that's fair. I said six. Okay, okay. For that same exact reason, the episode really isn't scary to watch necessarily. The visuals right. aren't that bad compared to it's others. It's not hard to watch. But the yeah. fear of the angry outbursts and abuse is pretty dark. Mm -hmm. Solidly. I'm, I mean, I just know what that feels like. So that's kind of where... Definitely, yeah. My personal trepidation, mm -hmm. my triggered ness from this yes, episode absolutely and that's fair because it's it's pretty overt that that's what they're getting at with it yeah this episode also reminded me of a quote that i'd like to leave you all with i'd always heard that this quote was attributed to maya angelou yeah and it turns out that it might not have been maya angelou at all but an unnamed person in a 1991 quote compilation book by h jackson brown jr all right. thanks quote investigator that's a place you can go online learned that this week <laughs> But either way, I think the quote is quite true, and I'll just leave you with it. Yeah. The quote is, I've learned that you can tell a great deal about a person by the way they handle these three things. A rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas tree lights. Wow, that hits home. <laughs> <laughs> I would always prefer to be around people who can take these small annoyances like this in stride. It's the way that I try, at least externally, to do myself. And I think we could all do a little better in that regard and make life little, a little more enjoyable or maybe a little less miserable for ourselves and those around us. Yeah. I won't even ask you how you judge me based off of those three <laughs> things. I'm just going to I feel, no, because I think like, that we've certainly done, like we've <laughs> untangled things together. You don't get like inordinately mad See, at those things. Any like major thing, I'm as cool as a cucumber. Yeah. But weirdly, I like even out. And I can just like deal right. because I'm almost like, this is absurd. That's I me just, too. I just I appreciate absurdity. Yeah. I begin to Same. laugh. Like this I is so stupid. I start to laugh when it gets really out of hand like that with the big stuff. Mm -hmm. I say I'm good in a crisis. I'm good in like a non-life threatening crisis. I'm, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to think about how I am in a life threatening crisis, but typically <laughs> like yeah. at work or something, people will say, Kaylin, you're so like cool under pressure and stuff. And I'm like, that's because I've already imagined every possible terrible scenario. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that one of them is happening is not surprising to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've been here already in my head. So mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I get mad in my head, but not at people, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, something that re <laughs> something that really bothers me that I found recently is an ADHD thing and I didn't know. But I'll be having like a morning where I'm just like like I hit the door frame and I hit this and I can't get out the door and I stub my toe and I, you know, I'm just like in my own way. Yeah. That will build up a lot. And that happens to me a lot in the morning time. Um, <laughs> so you just get I, mad at yourself. I'm not a morning person. So I get so mad at myself and then I'm like finally chilling out. Right. I'm calm. I've done my commute. I've listened to my music or my, yeah. my podcast or whatever I'm listening to on the way to work. And I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. I'm going to go in and deal with people and it's going to be fine. And then I go to get out of my car and my, bag hangs up on the 
gear shift or something <laughs> and it j- yanks me back into the car you're already and bad at getting I'm out of like, cars anyway so like i'm yeah exactly that's already a thing that i that's one of the do. first things you told me when we ever went anywhere together you were like by the way it takes me a few minutes to get out of any vehicle ever so like when you're it's waiting true. on me and i'm still trying to get out of the car yep don't get mad yep I literally think I did. I think I gave a, I gave like a preface. The spiel, yeah. Disclaimer. This is how I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm already bad at getting out of cars, but when that happens and my bag yanks me back into the car, I've thought many four letter words. (laughs) There have been days when I have literally sat in my car for another five minutes being like, I think I just want to go home. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do it, but I have to allow myself that fantasy for a moment. That's so funny. Oh, mercy. So yeah, that is a hothead. Wow. And now we've wrapped up season one, episode three of Courage the Cowardly Dog. Wow. We're getting through it at a snail's pace. You know, (laughs) like it's taking, well, here's the thing. We've covered six episodes. Right. We've done six. Yeah. We've done multiple, multiple. Six segments. Six segments. And also we've done Courage intro and, you know, we've, we've been talking about Courage for quite a while. It's just that we. We did two of the intro and two of the interview. Right. So we've been talking about courage. We've for been here for a while. Six months, but we sure have. We've also been doing a lot of other uh, fun stuff in the meantime, too. Listener, if you're only here for our courage episodes, I would encourage you to go listen to the others because they're fun too. You would encourage. <laughs> I would encourage them. you to do that. I think I think I could thread a needle really fast. I think <laughs> I could. Do you? I could work on fixing a rocking chair, but yeah, the jar would piss me off. Fair. I'll be yeah. so mad about that. Yeah, no, the needle is the worst for me. I think. Hitting it against the counter, running the hot water. Yeah, I've done all those whatever. things. Whatever. I actually have one of those things from Amazon that my my friend literally got me one of those things that open jars for you because of this issue. You just press a button. Oh, it just and it, does a thing? Yeah, it just has to be on right. Like it has to be tight enough to do it. That's what she said. Hmm. Mm. There's some jars I haven't found success with, but hey, hmm. can't win them all. No, sure, you sure can't. Sure can't. Oh, listener, have you had a good time with us today? <laughs> we hope so. <laughs> you can't get automatic jar openers. Next thing you know, AI is going to be stealing all of our jobs. Man. And if I can't open a jar, then what good am I? You know what I'm saying? What good is anybody, really? <laughs> We're just mm. one step closer to Wally existence. Wally world, as Wally. they say. So, listener, if you would like to hear more from us please mm. feel free find us on social media you can contact us at that's pretty dark podcast at gmail.com absolutely if you want to get in touch tell us your own stories tell us what you're frustrated by and how you deal with the tangled christmas lights <laughs> how do you guys handle it <laughs> and we have our patreon yeah we do patreon.com slash tpd podcast and speaking of that we want to say thanks to our new patron Rachel W. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. Thanks for being here. So many thanks to you. We appreciate you. Honestly. And if you yourself want access to some pretty dark bonus content and hear your name on our next episode, you can also give $5 a month. That's right. Just $5. Very easy way. Get yourself a shout out. You can say thanks and we'll say thanks back. And it'll just be an endless loop. Thank you. No, thank you. Just how I like it in my people-pleasingest life. No, thank you. We are slogging through the process of creating merch that we've been talking yeah. about for a year. And it looks pretty cool, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited. I'm about pretty it. excited about what we have going on with the promise of, you know, more to come. The mm-hmm. first uh, first release that we do will be, the first you round. know, yeah. pretty basic, but I think we'll build on that and, and I'm excited for that too. People have asked for that, so I think that's really what's making me excited is that we can get some things into y'all's hands and let you rep your status as a darkling which i think is fun got to otherwise how will people know that you listen to us how yeah how will people know you gotta tell them you gotta tell them them. good job 
good research. That was a lot of fun. Thanks. I was not prepared to record tonight, but um, you got us there. So I got us there. You made it happen. You got to get there one way or another. That's what I always say. Again, that's what she said. <laughs> we'll see you again next time. Thanks for hanging out, guys. As soon as we can possibly get back into your ears. And until then, please come and find us on the, the interweb. Yeah, and say hey. We love uh, hearing from you guys. And enter that giveaway if, if you're listening prior to, to July 21st. Because somebody has to win. Right. It might as well be you. And it easily could be. Until next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark. Written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs>